as church, as religious people, as community, don't let people know that you have feet of clay. And, and if I were to be honest, I would pay a price for it versus coming forward and being rewarded for honesty. You know what? I've done the work of self-reflection and I want to share my story. And, you know, we, we are still punishing people in all sorts of ways by taking things away from them. So I, we keep quiet. I wouldn't come forward. It would be career suicide, right? Whether you're a victim or maybe, uh, you know, an abuser. one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Welcome back, everybody, to See One Beautiful Soul. This is Barbara Heller, and it has been a minute since I recorded an episode. I took some time off for the holidays, and I just needed a break from everything, from teaching, from just recording from my dad was in the hospital and uh, it got very real that our time here is very limited. We learn that lesson all the time, but in different ways at different volumes. And I just needed some time. So it was really magical. He actually got out right before Shabbat came in on Hanukkah. It's in this year of 5782. And my friend, Rabbi Baruch Plotkin, had said to me, make sure if, God forbid, anyone you know is ever in the hospital over Hanukkah to get lights in the room. So if you're listening to this and it happens to be Hanukkah time for whatever reason and you know someone who, God forbid, is in the hospital or someone who's sick, even if they're at home, um, maybe whether they're Jewish or not, I, I think it applies to everyone, the miracle of Hanukkah was so great in size and stature that we believe that if someone is not feeling well, you can light, whether it's electrical candles or actual wax candles, doesn't have to be wax. Um, there's something very powerful about seeing that light and marking the commandment, the mitzvah of lighting candles on Hanukkah that brings about miracles. And it really did. I have to say that I, I, brought, I brought both. I brought the wax candles um, in a Hanukkah in a menorah with me, and I begged the nurses with tears coming out of my face, you know, can I please? And they, they asked head of the floor if I could light it, and of course they said no. It's a fire hazard, whatever, in a hospital, um, even though I promised I would stand by it. So I also had with me, I went to CVS, and I picked up those electric lights. They're actually, I think, used for Christmas, but they're, they're long stem candles, sort of like what you would see on a set of Beauty and the Beast. And I, I picked up nine of those because you need the eight lights plus the shamash, the leader candle. And I figured, I hope my dad's not in here for eight days, but if we got to do all eight days, we're going to do them. So I, I packed up all the candles. They were expensive. Um, they hadn't quite yet gone on sale because it was the middle of Hanukkah. It was like the second or third night. And I packed it in my car and I went upstairs and we lit the candles, even though they were electric and they were LEDs who were really bright and they hardly took up any carbon footprint. And um, my dad's face changed, his whole demeanor changed. And we said the prayer because you're allowed to do that apparently. And uh, even though it's electric and it was electric, there was something that changed in that room and I think really helped the whole floor um, the energy shifted and my dad got out just a couple nights later and right before Shabbat came in, which is really, really holy and special. So, uh, it was kind of a moving last couple of weeks and I just, I just needed extra time, but wanted to start out 2022 with a powerful episode. I want to say thank you to Rena Strober, a friend of mine who referred me to this wonderful pastor who you're about to hear. And I want to give a trigger warning that if you have been sexually assaulted um, or abused in any way, this episode may trigger some feelings. I do recommend listening to it if you can and really taking in what he says about clergy and 
vulnerable people. And I think that you will be moved by this man's story and how he just has a vision for what the future could hold. Also, I wanted to let you know that I have a new page on my website as well as a new playlist on my YouTube channel. It is called Meditate and Create with Mora B. And you will hear guided meditations that hopefully will lift you up and put you in a beautiful place. So if you are interested in getting more involved in mindfulness and meditation, and you're just not quite sure how to start, or you have a class of your own, or a community of your own, or a family of your own, or a partner of your own that you would like to meditate with, please take a listen, check it out, do it on your own first, see if it works for you, and then share it. And I think you will find them invigorating and enlightening. And if you write to me at info at barpeller.com, I'm going to be sharing my reflection worksheets, which can be done before and or after the meditation. And I hope that it brings you some inner peace and some outer peace and fulfillment of your heart. And I can't wait to hear from you in this new venture. I hope you're having a wonderful start to your 2022. May we all become more united and more unified to be a force for good in this world. And may we continue to lift ourselves and each other up Wishing everyone a happy and healthy and joyful and peaceful new year. Pastor Lane Beamer, it is so good to sit with you on Zoom right now. Good to be with you. <laughs> um, we uh, were introduced by a dear friend of mine who's also a fellow artist and educator, Rena Strober, uh, mm-hmm. of Live and Maddie fame. And uh, you guys work together at the Music Academy for the Blind. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I met Rita Rena when she was uh, teaching for the Academy of Music for the Blind and actually had had the great pleasure of getting to perform a couple of songs with her. She was very gracious. <laughs> we were just saying how sometimes when God takes a sense away or something that we feel is vital to us, uh, you were saying that, man, on Saturdays, that building was way more spiritual than on Sundays. Oh, yeah. The joy of, you know, kids making music and, and discovering things and learning. They were there because they wanted to learn. They weren't there because they had to learn. The adults were there because they wanted to teach. The building came alive in a way that um, it just it just didn't on Sunday morning because there were more people, more rooms being used. The mistake that a lot of churches can make on Sunday morning is we sort of fit into our deeply, our grooves, and we do what we always do. And uh, it can be kind of hard for the spirit to break forth well, we're definitely going to get more into that on C1 Beautiful Soul. Be uncomfortable so that we can grow in that way. I love just hearing the way that you speak about joy and how it is connected to spirit. How did you find yourself in the clergy? Is this a family business or is this something you found, you stumbled upon? I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Lutheran church, ELCA, which is the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, in a little farm town in Ohio. We were you know, church folks going, going back to just that little brick country church. As a young man, I can say that I heard a call to ministry and that that was confirmed by people in the church and uh, a pastor who said, you know, I really think you should consider going to seminary and becoming a minister. And that resonated with me, but I also heard a call to theater and theater was a lot more fun. <laughs> I, I chose to study theater and I can look back and say that was really a good move because I would have been a horrible young minister. It's That's good a great I, screenplay right there. The horrible young minister. Horrible young minister. <laughs> uh, and so it's it's good that I went and made a bunch of my mistakes uh, as an actor and learned some things about myself and then was able to come back as an older person um, as a second career. Found my way back into a, a different faith community to the Disciples of Christ, which is the denomination that I'm in now. As I was plugging back in uh, to church life, had some wonderful mentoring, including a senior minister who you know, one day said to me, hey, I think you've got a sermon in you. Uh, let me know uh, Let me know when you've decided what you want to preach about, and we'll, we'll talk about it. And I was like, uh, yeah. And he, he said, and the deadlines are important. Come talk to me in two weeks and we'll get you on the calendar. <laughs> anyway, through that process, 
teaching Sunday school and just being on uh, different church boards and being asked to be an elder in the church. Again, hearing from other people, you know, I, I really think uh, you would be a good pastor and heard that call within me. So I came back home to my uh, wife. I'd been divorced and remarried. So, you know, honey, I'm, I'm thinking about going to seminary. And she said, oh, I always knew I'd be married to a pastor. Uh, what, you married an ex-actor handyman. She goes, yeah, I don't know. I just always, I always knew I was going to be married to a pastor. She was the least surprised of anybody. It was definitely a midlife career change. Very happy that I, I did it. I, it still feels like, even on my really bad days, when I think I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, no, but I'm, I'm learning what I'm supposed to be learning today. This is the place I'm supposed to be. This is the stuff I'm supposed to be wrestling with. And, and the beauty, the beauty of, of working as a pastor is you're doing it in a community. You know, you're, you're working on things together. You're trying to move forward together, you're, uh, learning and growing together. It's beautiful. So around how old were you when you made that career? 45, I think maybe when I said I'm thinking about doing this. So I think I was probably about 47 when I started seminary. That's so interesting. And so up until that point, you were an actor. You sound like Harrison Ford's career, by the way, because you were an actor and a handyman. And also, Jesus. He was a very good carpenter. I don't know that I <laughs> worked in Chicago and LA as a professional actor for you know 20 some years. Um, always had to have a part-time job. Divorce, in the midst of a divorce, gave up acting. It was just one more thing that I, I didn't need on my plate. Started working as a handyman. And in the midst of all that, there would be days when I'd crawl out from under something or get down off a ladder and think, oh, I don't know that I want to be doing this as I get older. Maybe I should think about, you know, could I use my brain a little more, a little less brawn? So I started, well, if I went back to school, what would I study? And I kept coming back to, well, if I could study anything, I'd love to study the Bible. It was about the time that people in the church were saying, I think you ought to be a pastor. Wow. I think God speaks to us in a lot of ways. And I think God was speaking to me in the aches and pains of crawling out from under the house. And I, uh, yeah, you're okay as a handyman, but maybe this isn't what you're supposed to be doing. That's amazing. To say, as you're telling me this remarkable story, uh, number one, it reminds me of me a little bit too, and being an actor and always having a Sunday school job, always going to synagogue after a certain age because I met my rabbi, the one who dared me to make this podcast, by the way. I told you about Rabbi David Aaron. I met him at 24 and at 19, I had met a rabbi who they were sort of like throwing me little breadcrumbs from God. Like, oh, you may want to be, you know, consider being a spiritual person, professional Jew or professional spiritual person, uh, which is hilarious to make money at doing spiritual stuff. I but. know. And it's, it, you know, I have to remind people around here at every church I've served, oh, don't do that. I go, I'm the one who gets paid. You're all volunteers. Yeah. And I think being a performer really can lend it your, itself very easily to the spiritual professions, because I believe that the only reason we create on stage is because we want to get closer to something bigger within and around and between all of us. Just watch Godspell, Stephen Schwartz, boom. You know, all the arts just are just godliness. You know, I mean, you can channel it in different ways, but it's always there. I also was just thinking, you know, we have this sort of unwritten but known rule in, in Kabbalah, for instance, like my rabbi is a Kabbalist as well, that you can't really start to study them. You could study the mystical. I study it all the time, but it is sort of looked at that you may not call yourself a Makubal, someone who receives the mystical until you actually reach age 40 and you've studied the Bible through and through. I love that idea. I know that we share it with other cultures as well. But I'm just sitting here listening to you. And in this moment, I'm actually thinking, wouldn't it be wise for every pastoral, rabbinical minister, like all those jobs to only be open to people over 40? <laughs> because I have met wonderful people who are very yeah. enlightened at 20 and 25. And I don't think Jesus was 40. But like Rabbi Akiva was 40 when he started studying and wasn't a rabbi yet. And there, there are Avraham was like, way old when he became a father, you know, and I, I just think like, we put so much pressure on being under 40, right, to like be super successful. But I think when it comes to spiritual stuff, to talk to somebody from the deepest parts of my heart, 
who's been around and and kind of has lived a little bit. But the- I, I think the truth that you're, you're speaking there is that there are benefits of age. With that being said, though, there are old souls and there are great benefits to young. Hey, I may be an energetic 63, but I'm 63. <laughs> right. and, uh, like I say, I would have been a horrible young minister. That being said, boy, there would have been a lot I could have accomplished as a young minister that are very hard for me to accomplish now, just on that pure energy available to me, you know, that I would pour into my theater production. I can't stay up three days in a row. But the the truth in that, I think, is that there are some things that uh, can only come to us on the other side of experience. I am a much more empathetic pastor than I ever could have been as a young man. I had to go through some stuff. I had to prove my own limitations, had to stumble and fall. When someone's sort of at a place and they're beating themselves up, I can go, oh, I got that beat. Let me tell you, let me, (laughs) I often try to help people let go of some of the self-blame by saying, okay, right, this happened, you made some choices, God has forgiven you, now if you can forgive yourself, I want you to grasp this amazing resource that you have now. Because you now get to carry this forward with you and share it with other people as, hey, you're not the only one. And there is a new day on the other side of it. Yeah. God is here with you on the other side of the, you know, on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death. (laughs) God is there. And, and we can be that for one another if we're willing to be honest enough, you know, and say, oh, I've been there too. Yeah. I, I, you know, you're not alone in this. Yeah. Shame. It's a big one. We're going to get into that too. Yeah. What is your forgiveness story? What's your biggest one that comes to mind right now? Well, the one that uh, I probably spent the most amount of time on and was the hardest to get to disclaimer warning i was sexually molested as, as a young man by a sunday school teacher in in a lot of ways it was sort of classic predator grooming etc you look back on it and say, oh why didn't people see this but again it was a little town a little church in a lot of ways i did what so many victims do self-blame well, I should have seen this coming. What, what did I do? How did I encourage this? It must have been me. I think that coupled with some notion of questioning my own sexuality, and I got to tough this out. You know, come on, hey, you're you know, you're 14 year old boy, you're playing sports. I didn't share it with anybody. Didn't share it with anybody. Shame. I kind of just ate it for a lot of years and pretended I was okay. I got to mad. I was mad. Parents and people had to act had to deal with where, where do these bursts of outrage come from? Because that was new, but I, I wouldn't share with anybody about it. But I kind of got through that period and then just pretended I was okay. Yeah. Thought I was okay. I got over it. I got over it. But at different points in my life, I would have these outbursts because I, I had some real rage inside me that I never really wanted to do the work. Well, where does this come from? Yeah, And so it wasn't until, even though I'd, I'd had furtive little attempts at therapy maybe over the years, I don't want to go there. Um, it wasn't until aftermath of my divorce, sort wow. of, you know, I think I really might be broken in some major ways here. Yeah. Uh, and some 12-step work, having somebody say to me, you really are going to need to forgive this. Mm. Like, it's no big deal. No. And so... The, the first part, I think, for me, of being able to forgive was to admit how badly I'd been wounded, mm. right? I wasn't going to be able to forgive if I was blowing it off. I wasn't going to be able to forgive if I was just raging. I had to grieve. I had to lament. I had to mourn. Oh, look, all that was kind of taken away from that young boy. And... So, you know, that there are different people that talk about your, your inner child. That was definitely part of my process, was getting in touch with a young boy and being there for him as adult me. Yeah. Right? But a big part was just admitting, I was really hurt. Then uh, the, the therapist that I was working with at the time, um, I said, well, he's, he's dead. There's no, forgive him, I, you know. Okay, I'll forgive him. So now I want you to write a letter. Wow. And go to his gravesite. 
I want you to read the letter at the gravesite. And part of the reading, I want you to say what happened. I want you to like say, hey, this happened, and this is how it affected me. And also, though, that therapist helped me be empathetic to that, that teacher with that idea that hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. How, what, were the, what was the big hurt? You know, even if I have to imagine. All right. But to, to say that and to say what I'm forgiving, forgiving at great cost. It really cost me something. And that's something I think that I try to, when people uh, are wrestling with forgiveness, mm-hmm. um, something that sort of clicked for me was acknowledging when we forgive, we're taking on the cost. I'm willing to do this. I'm going to, uh, you know, there's a, an, an analogy of a ledger and debts and paid or outstanding debts, but then also once in a while, a stamp over it. That's forgiven. I can't carry this on my books anymore. Yeah. It costs me too much. I can't build, a, I can't build my business carrying this debt. This is a, this is a bad debt. Might be you just can't pay it. You're unable. You may be unwilling. I don't know, but I've got to. I need to take that on myself, write it off. And part of that is just to say, well, that cost me, mm-hmm. but it's worth it. It's worth taking that cost on myself to stop waiting around as if I'm going to be repaid. 100%. The very first part of that for me was admitting that hurt me and it's going to cost me to let it go but it'll be worth that cost tears are starting to come uh, up how old were you when you were molested oh 14 I, I can remember all sorts of great detail but what day was it what grade exactly was i in i but i, I think it was about 14 and it was like one time or like the whole year one time i had the rage in me um i think was recognized and i i think in a lot of ways um it was very clear that this better never happen again. Again, you think about the, the, the risks. Someone, here's a, you know, a Sunday school teacher, small, small little town, yeah. um, how, how very risky and dangerous that sort of behavior um, might be. And I, I, like somebody, I don't think I was probably the first, and I, I wish I'd been able to speak up because I doubt I was the last. I don't think I, anything in my response was a, a warning like don't ever try this again with somebody else but I think it was don't make the mistake of thinking this is going to be something I'll tolerate well that is speaking up I mean whether you there's like, no way I wish I'd been able to verbalize it because I'm well, sure you were I taken off, off, off guard obviously you didn't expect oh, yeah. your teacher oh, yeah. to take advantage of you but yeah. there's a few things that come up for me when you're saying this and the first one is that you mentioned there was a part of you that questioned your sexuality which I think is very common in these situations. And uh, I am not uh, someone who's going to say everyone should question their sexuality. I'm also not someone who would say, don't question it. Um, But I I do think today, and this is something that I'm starting to, I, I started thinking about this a few years ago. I have such a mission to get kids and adults to stay as innocent as we can for as long as we can. Not because I'm not interested in the joy of, you know, sex, for instance, because that is actually one of the holiest things you can do as a Jew with the, with, you know, consensual, kosher, you know, love, um, you know, it, it, it's beautiful to, to have um, consensual relationships uh, when it is the right time and it is the right person and you feel respected and loved, it is like the high, it's honestly the highest mitzvah that you can do and it can create life. Yeah. However, there is such a focus today. Um, and I, I have to caveat that this by saying I am not anti-love. If you really love someone, that's the end of the story. We don't even have to talk about sexuality. But, and there's a big but here, as someone who in high school was sort of pressured, um, because I was with a bunch of kids who um, 
I look back, I adore all of them. I have no animosity or anger towards them. We are great. But I was pressured to be and talk about and act on sexuality at a young age. Young meaning like, I mean, I was 15. But to me, as someone who was struggling with abuse and neglect and domestic violence at home, I was cut off and I needed a lot of space and a lot of time to understand what I was going through. And I know that I'm not alone. I know there are lots of kids coming from divorced families, neglect, abuse of different kinds. And there's so much pressure at five, six, seven years old to what's your gender? Who do you want to be with? Who do you want to kiss? Who do you want to touch? It's like, it's so much pressure. And I'm like, I feel like I'm on a mission to just like, let kids be little. Yeah. Well, and, and so throw into that, throw into that mix. Um, what I is sadly, and it's not what it was to a degree, but kids who grow up in church and who the only thing that they hear anything about sex is don't do it. Don't do it. And it's wrong. And if you do it, repent. And so, you know, for, for me, Okay, this was way too early for me. I was blindsided by it. Gosh, it's a Sunday school teacher at an institution where, you know, I'm, all that I'm hearing about sex is it's, it's wrong. And um, so the, um, and do I take this back to the institution, <laughs> right? To talk about it, to help me process it. I think we, we do leave kids sort of isolated. It's, it's like, well, we're not comfortable talking about it still as a society, period. So so many families aren't comfortable talking about it. Church communities aren't comfortable talking about it. And then so when something happens that certainly that, you know, is abuse. So yeah. You know, the, the, the ripeness for shame and isolation and just bury it. Right. I mean, that that was certainly true for me that in the midst of everything else, it's like, well, I'm not going to go talk to the pastor about this. <laughs> I'm never going to bring this up in Sunday school in youth group. Uh, you, you know, and I, I don't know that I would have if it, if, if it had happened with somebody that was not connected to the church, you know, but. Um, Right. And then it becomes a vicious cycle because there's a lot of pressure. It's just, it's a ridiculous amount of pressure. And it's, it's sad, but I, I think any number of religious institutions in the Christian church has a lot to do with that, that idea of shaming. Sure. Uh, and, and starting to shame kids before they're even ready to, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about really. Right. You're talking about lust. I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't experienced that yet, but, you know, planting the seeds that, well, if that happens, be careful because it's sinful. Right. So we're talking, we're like actually talking about two sides of the same coin, which is shame, shame for like not knowing who you want to be and what you are. And then also shame for even talking about it. And we're trying to avoid the shaming. So let's get it all out. And it's like, you know, I used to berate myself for not really knowing what I was mm-hmm. um, in terms of like who I was attracted to, because I really just, I, would, I was kind of cut off from men and women because I was like, ah, you know, I had fr- like my LGBT friends who were like, um, it's totally great if you want to do this. And I'm like, okay. Eh. And then on the other side, it was like, my parents were I never saw them kiss. I saw them kiss once in my life and it was like gross for me. <laughs> and I just made a kiss on the cheek because they were always yelling at each other. So I, I actually had so much anxiety around male and female relationships. And then when I started to learn about divine feminine, divine masculine, regardless of, you know, I have to caveat this because I, I know people are, their ears are going to be like, but I identify as this, even though I'm in this body. And I just mean there, there is an idea of divine feminine, divine masculine in in all of us. And it's beautiful. And I, I believe that we can talk about love and we can talk about sexuality in the right time with children in a beautiful way and not shame them. But I just think there's just so much pressure. And so it's, it feels like, and we all know this because if you've seen spotlight the movie, or, you know, you've heard about 
um, you know, certain popes and uh, certain things that have happened in the Catholic church, because they're always, you know, in the hot seat, even though it happens everywhere in all religious institutions, even in the yoga institutions um, where there's no like strict rules and, you know, there's womanizing, there's me too, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, I feel like the shame sort of feeds this kind of relationship where there's someone in power or stature holding over a child and violating them and, you know, in a, in a vulnerable way. Um, you can tell we really rehearsed those guys. I, I don't rehearse anything. <laughs> I just like to speak from the heart and hopefully it penetrates your heart and vice versa. But what would you say to somebody who could so easily come to want to, to learn about Christianity and immediately go, oh, they have used children. So oh, I'm not interested. Wow. Well, I think one thing is to acknowledge that it happens and has happened as it does, sadly, throughout the world. I, we don't hold the, you know, the mark, corner of the market on that, but particularly can cause this to happen in the Christian church. Deep-seated sense that sex is the number one thing that God is concerned about, and that's a puritanical, now more evangelical, if you will, take. But it's certainly, you know, been within the the church, you can find it, you know, you can take it back to Paul, particularly concerned about anything that happens outside of a wedding bed. I think you have to read the Bible and come up with that conclusion, but you can find a scripture that will take you there if you choose to. And then you add to it, again, I'll say it's unfortunate, uh, a Catholic church understanding that to be closest to God, to be closest to Jesus, you have to be celibate. You have to, you know, well, I think right away you're setting up people to fail. You're setting up, you're, you're asking people to human, <laughs> you know, very innate, natural, God-given desires and uh, impetuses within us. And then you add to that power and that if someone were to find out that you've made a mistake, now you're going, you're going to lose power. The institution is going. So we are going to control that. We're going to do damage control. That's see, there's there's where I think now the institution compounds its sin of shaming. It, well, now we're going to do damage control and we're going to deny. And so that when those victims come forward and say, hey, I've been hurt, we're not going to do all that we can, which would be just go, hey, it happened. And, and we can talk about it, right? So my hope as we, go, as we go forward, as church, as religious people, as community, because we're playing this out in society, right? It's in its power and it's don't let people know that you have feet of clay. And, and if I were to be honest, I would pay a price for it versus coming forward and being rewarded for honesty and being rewarded for, you know what, I've, I've, I've done the work of self-reflection and I want to share my story. And, you know, we, we are still punishing people in all sorts of ways by taking things away from them. So I, we keep quiet. I wouldn't come forward. It would be career suicide, right? Whether you're a victim or maybe, uh, you know, an abuser. Um, so if we could if we could get to a place where people are rewarded for, you know, given hey thank you for coming forward, right? I think in some cases it's appropriate to say thank you for coming forward, and it's probably not good that you serve in the position you're in right now, you know, because everybody needs to process this. But we don't need to think of it so much as punitive, and it doesn't need to be forever a sentence. I'm a big believer in you know what therapy can do, that we can come out on the other side of therapy. Hey, guess what? I'm better prepared to be in a place of leadership than I was before, you know, having come forward and you know, been honest about my path and received the benefit of, of some, some counseling. But we don't do that right now. It's like, it's over. It's over for you. If we're even willing and able to talk about it, it's got to be, okay, it happened, but we've punished the person. There's no way they're ever going to be part of this institution ever again. Right. They're bad. We are they're bad. bad. Okay, yeah. they're bad. And we've in some way made some sort of restitution to the victim. We're done with that. I just, I think we haven't gone back to that 
yeah, but we're still doing the shaming and we're still, it's all still about shaming and blaming and power. Not enough reflection on the institutions of like, oh, what was our part in a, a basic human struggle? But what have we done as institutions mm -hmm. to set the table for, you know, some of these abuses? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree. Uh, and this is not like, let's shame Catholicism right now. I no, I'm like a uh, Protestant church and, you know, the Boy Scouts have nothing to do with Protestantism and fundamental Christian churches are starting to deal with this, right? You see pastor, you see ministries crumble. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not the, the Catholic Church because of its size and I think because of uh, the hierarchical nature of it um, was able to do some of the damage control for a lot longer. Than and yet not not really damage control at all because it only added to the sexual violence. Control. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. no, right. I guarantee that there are lots of altar boys who were abused that continued the cycle of violence because that's all they knew or that's how they could deal with it or who knows i mean we we i'm speculating but i i i also have to say that um first of all i, I hear what you're saying by you know if 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 there was a commandment and, and this is something that's always fascinated me about Christianity. I mean, we, I could talk for hours about the differences between and the similarities between Christianity and Judaism. But, you know, if if we had like the first book, let's say, and you guys have like the New Testament as well as you call it the Old Testament, I call it the Torah. Um, you know, that also includes the verbal laws given at Mount Sinai to Moses, which has 613 commandments in it. And there's yeah. so many um, that have to do with appropriate behavior in terms of like ethical behavior around sexuality, around uh, just how we interact as human beings and and being kind and things like that. And I, I it always boggled my mind that sex was considered like a sin when number one, you have to have it in order to, you know, procreate humanity, but also because it's such a high level of pleasure if it's done with love and respect and care and no harm and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you with that. We're definitely setting the table there. And, and the second thing is, you know, hearing that it's, there are Ted talks right now. Uh, well, for the last several years, actually on how pedophilia eventually should just be like, okay, it's just something people do. I am not for that. Like I, think that that's really scary that we're entering a new world. I mean, this is this week, Ghislaine Maxwell, who worked for Jeffrey Epstein for many years, is being convicted, finally, of aiding and abetting on the things that he did. And it's just fascinating to me how it's not making the mainstream news. Like, we, we aren't hearing about all the people that were involved security people, housemaids, that all the people that kept the secrets that probably were also involved just by saying, okay, I won't talk. Here's some money. I mean, I believe all these people are at fault for, as you say, the Catholic church did, you know, damage control, because how, how do they wake up in the morning knowing that they were part of this? If, if it's consensual and you are of a certain age and you feel that the person you're with and it's kosher, anything you you can do to show someone you love them. And wouldn't it be great if you waited until you had a committed relationship like marriage in order to then have, but I, I know I'm in a very small minority. If you could take religion out of it and just talk about ethics, the, the imbalance of power. You go to any number of cultures and any number of times and the idea that a 15, a 14 year old might be sexually active wouldn't be bad or abnormal. And so it's, it's not just like a, a chronological thing or even a biological thing, but the place in society, our society right now, there's no way that a 14, 15, 16 year old person is not going to be at an imbalance of power. Exactly. And not be taken advantage of. Yes. And that's, so that's the take advantage. So that's the, that's the sin. It's not the fact that a a a 40-year-old and a 15-year-old had sex, but that it took place in a context where there is no way that they could meet each other 
in any way that could be considered equal and supportive, mutually nourishing, right? Nurturing, anything. Or, or, like or a lack of harm. I mean, there's definitely harm. Right. You always have to factor those those things in when you're talking about what's this ethic that we're, we're trying to live in. I think it's uh, potentially harmful to just say, just say no until you're married because you can end up with people getting married so they can have sex. Oh, 100%. I know that one very well, too. Yep. It, we have that in the Jewish community, too. But it, it comes from a place of society saying, look, if you're married, we can hold you accountable to one another in a way that we can't if you engage in sex before you're married. We're worried about kids that might result. I can unpack and understand how you get to a place where you say, look, we're going to say that it's it's sinful to engage in sex outside of marriage because we're, we're trying to control the, the, the possible damage. But we've come so far since right. so many of these codes were written in terms right. of the possibility for sexual expression that can be mutually beneficial, mutually nurturing and whatever. But I don't think we're at a place where it still can be even less so now, I think in 2020 compared to some eras past where a young person might enter into a relationship with an older person uh, out of, yeah, this, this works for me. Works for us both. Right. Um, We're, we're not in that world where, uh, where you can say, no, that young person is giving consent. Right. Yeah. No, I just don't, you know, I, I carry my own past with me as I form that opinion, you know, but, um, and maybe that's part of why God chose you to have that because I believe everything that happens to us is for us. And maybe you can be a stand for 14 year olds or any age that doesn't feel it, so said, harmful. To be able to, to be able to discover things on our own, at our own time, at our own pace, not yeah. when you're, but we do, we do that way too much in all sorts of areas. Well, you know, you're 16. Yeah, so exactly. You're 18. Now you're able to whatever. Yeah, I agree with you. And 21, you can you can drink. Uh, apparently, Iran is way more uh, developed than us because there are still little girls getting married at nine. So I guess I guess they have they they have a better. I'm saying this facetiously. And the UN just elected them a, a true leader in in how to um, respect women. That's a little comedy, but it's true. You can look it up. I have such interesting opinion of the UN after watching a movie Ami Horowitz made. It's a documentary. It's a little bit like Borat, but it's actually true. There's no script or anything. It's called You and Me, and it is fascinating. And he made it many years ago. And uh, it's very interesting. This was like during the time of Osama bin Laden and um, Arafat. I am so intrigued by this. And I think our listeners are going to be blown away by how uh, level-headed and kind and mature and wise you are. Oh, um, oh wait, want- call my wife, please. And my ex-wife. They, they'd both be fascinated to hear about this mature person. You Well, what's interesting about you is that I am pretty good most of the time at like sensing people's energy, but you are very evolved because I don't see or sense or smell through through the Zoom screen any hint of aggression or anger towards you, the person who harmed you. I just don't feel it at all when you talk about it. It's you're very evolved from it. And I've had a lot of help. Well, thank you. I, I've I've had a lot of help, and um, it was in stages. Graveside. That was a powerful ritual. Work with some other people, including a, a very powerful. Healing. Do you know? Do you know the ayahuasca? He specifically went to his retreat in Peru. I heard him speak here in the states, and he'd offered. Uh, he said, "Well, we can. You can come to one of my retreats here in the states." I know. I want to come to your retreat in Peru. I want to be in the jungle. I want to do it there, three night over a five night period. Very powerful. Linking the sides of my brain, the conscious and the subconscious, making peace and, and accepting what happened. And uh, and saying, but I don't have to carry it forward with me. You know? What would you say is our biggest struggle right now in terms of our society? If I could pick one thing, if it could just happen tomorrow, if we could all turn to the same just news source that we could trust. <laughs> now, 
Now, we, we laugh when we say that because like, that's impossible. Well, we're always going to turn to our editorials that we, well, I, I want someone else to help me unpack this. But if we could, from both different sides of these polls that we're on, if we had sources that we could go, that at least happened. Because that was reported, that happened. Now I get to unpack what that means to me or not, but, but we don't have those sources that uh, this divide can say, well, if we come here and I read it in print, I see it happen, that is a fact. Because we have different reality. We're living in different realities right now. And it's because we are, our news is being reported as different news in different, different worlds facts. Yeah. we are different reality. that way we are literally we walk out the door into different worlds we're really divergent now on just what happened yeah and and it makes you go what happened <laughs> yeah, um yeah. maybe that's happening because we're actually supposed to visit people in different places and not just hear about it on the internet because it is so dangerous to get what happened from another person from a third party that's supposed to tell you what happened and how it happened. I remember living in Israel during the Antifada and I, and I have a crazy story of how I got there. I wound up going during like right before nine 11 and I was, I had been working in the world trade center and it's, it's a total miracle. God literally took me from New York and dropped me in a war zone in, in Jerusalem. And I wound up studying Torah and becoming more religious then, whatever that means. But, um, at the time, it was terrifying to be there every day, but I would, I once, because I didn't have a TV at the time, and I definitely didn't have a smartphone, they didn't exist yet, it was 2001, I went over to a friend's aunt's house, and she had this really fancy apartment in Jerusalem, and she was watching CNN, and I was watching Ashley Banfield report just a few streets away, and mm -hmm. talking about Israel like it was the Third Reich, like it was Germany. And I, and I was suffering because I was like, this, that's not true. Like I'm standing here. I'm an American. I feel safe in Jerusalem. I don't feel safe where she's standing because there are people there that are active shooters and jamming their cars into people. And, you know, and she wasn't reporting that part. And I remember thinking like, I can't watch the news anymore. That was the day I stopped watching the news. And I only recently started watching it again because of COVID and still to this day think that it's so negative. Like I'd rather study scripture or, and all kinds of scripture, not just the Torah, but like, sure. I'd like to hear about spiritual things and what people's journeys are. That's why I started this podcast. Because <laughs> to me, it's way more effective in making the world a better place than- well, putting, Yeah, putting a positive message out there is, is the best- you know, instead of being against something, what are you for? That's really the only thing that's going to change hearts. Again, our institutions that nobody trusts have to take some responsibility for why. Why Why don't we trust? We're going to have to, and I'm, so this is a case of the, the pastor is now listening to himself preach and saying, <laughs> boy, do I need to hear this, and boy, do I need more practice on this, but we have to hang in there longer with people we disagree with. It's just too easy. And I click my, you know, unfriend button as probably as quick as anybody. I don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to, um, versus doing the work of staying in there and with something that is really uncomfortable and disagree with and trying to, not that we have to, not that we always have to get to a place of, oh, okay, I understand you and kumbaya but demonstrating the willingness to stay in there on the other side of the disagreement. I think if you do that enough, then people might be more willing than to listen to you and your why and stay in there and to discover, oh, you're not, oh, you're not the Antichrist. Oh, you're not, you know, the, you're, you're not Hitler. Oh, you're, oh. Uh. Some of us have this in our own families of like, well, wait a minute, I, you're my brother, I love you, but I so disagree with you. And that's more upsetting to me than anything else. We, we stay in the relationship because oh, I, I, you're still my brother. Well, if we could have that commitment to one another in society, like, I still need to stay in relationship with you. you know, where we are all in this together. I know I need to practice that more. I need to, I need to listen more than I talk. I need to, uh, you know, not feel like, well, there, I, I put my little meme out there and that's it. 
I <laughs> saved the world today. I shared this really witty little, <laughs> it summed it up perfectly. It feels so good to put that witty thing out there. It's a little, whatever, the turn of the phrase or whatever. Wasn't that clever? If you're on the other side. It hurts. That witty little witticism is just a, a jab. Is it really witty or is it, you know, third grade taunting? I, I often will think to myself when someone who I would probably agree with says something really funny about, you know, the weirdos of the other group or whatever that is. It's like, I always think to myself, is this really going to help or is this going to harm? Yeah. Gonna... yeah. And, and at the end of the day, spiritual things are always helpful. You know, we are, you said it so well, I'm the preacher and I'm ta taking my own advice. Oh, God wants me to stand up in front of people and say things out loud that I need to hear myself. Right. You know, that's a huge part. That's a huge part of my God calling me to ministry is I want you to have to stand up there, wrestle with this scripture and say to people, well, here's how we are supposed to behave and then reflect on how am I doing in that regard? Yeah. I mean, I'm a mindfulness teacher because I struggle with anxiety for years and it really calms me down to help other people calm down. And we're ending at 613, which is so cool because there's 613 mitzvot or, or okay. commandments. So in like a second, it's going to be 613. How can we get in touch with you? How can we support your community? How can we oh, support gosh. I, hey, If you're ever in Austin, uh, come by Central Christian Church. We are, we are right down the street from the Capitol building. I guarantee you, unless you bring 420 some friends, We'll have a seat for you. We're, we're, a, we're a small group of folks in a big old sanctuary. I want to do damage control for Christ. I think there's a there's an image of Christianity out in the world that I don't think is the best reflection of you know the, the carpenter from Nazareth. Uh, so if and when you see someone that you think, oh, I think you're walking the walk pretty well, let them know. You know, I think the best thing I can do as a Christian is to help somebody live into their faith. I think that's what Jesus would do, right? I really do. As opposed to get them all to be Christian. I think the best way I could have someone think, wow, I wonder if I should be a Christian is to have that see in me, well, that person helped me be a better Sufi. I wonder, maybe I want to be a Christian. And I wouldn't demand that you give up being a Sufi to be a, a Christian. I think that the best thing that we can all do is if you see someone who's walking a walk that you think, wow, you're, you're making a difference. You're, that's, that's who it is. Acknowledge it and say, hey, I really, whether they claim a faith tradition or not, encourage people that are trying to make a difference. And so if that happens to be, you know, a church, a religious community, but there are all sorts of people that don't claim a deity, but are trying to do good work, trying to help people with their walk. And so when we acknowledge them and we, we say thank you for you know doing the work that you're doing. What if we all did that every day? Yeah, looked for the good and actually- What would this world be like? Right? My, I just posted today, you can look it up uh, on December 30th, 2021. Uh, my grandmother, I, I came across uh, this beautiful video of hers. Um, she had a breath, whatever you call it, air, air filtration system going on in her nose. I don't know what you call that. And oxygen tank. And uh, she was at the last year of her life. She, she lived to just about 96. She says, I always say it's easy to look for the bad. You got to look for the good. And my teacher, David Sachs, who's also been on the podcast, he's also a producer and a writer in Hollywood. One of the most humble people I've ever met, Glanara, and he's just so learned in Judaism and, and spiritual texts. And I listen to him on every Sunday. And he once told me that if you have a deep thought about somebody who's passed away um, and you just remember them in the moment, or you come across a letter that they gave you or a video in this case, um, or you just have this memory that comes upon you, um, they're visiting you. Uh, yeah. And I found that today. And of course, you just reiterated her very wise words that she gave credit to the old adage. I don't even know who said it, but yeah. um, to, to acknowledge the good in others. I don't know if there's anything else. All of our traditions talk about, you know, helping the other, help the other. And, and what could be more helpful than to say, I saw what you did there. I appreciate it. You know, 
you, you made a difference. Uh, yeah, it sounds so simple. And yet I don't know why it's cooler or more acceptable to walk down the street, like, you know, kind of like zombied out instead of like, yeah. Hey. <laughs> you're beautiful. You're a miracle. Um, God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank for you. Being here. Thank you. This is the beginning of many conversations because I, I, I feel like we're friends now and I just want to acknowledge your greatness and, and oh, thank you. Well, I know this, this in a very real way, you know, it's a, it's a pat, uh, it's a pat Christian thing, but it's true. It's like, it's what God's been able to do. You know, it's, it, it's, it, cause it ain't me. I got a news for you. It ain't me. <laughs> I can, I can tell you about when, when Lane's in charge, what happens, but, uh, <laughs> but if, you know, it, it's true. If God can use me, uh, God can use any of us. And, uh, Oh, you're so humble. But no, really, the grace that you brought today, I hope will really inspire somebody who needs to hear it. And it will find the ear and the heart of somebody who needs to. And I, I admire your courage. And, you know, in a in a world that is still learning how to have sea legs in sharing from the heart about these really di difficult situations. Like, well, here, so here's for anybody that's listening, if I, the, that which you can speak, you, you take its power away. Right. There are things that we give power to because we, we oh, if anyone found out, uh, if you if you can speak it and put it out there, it you, you've taken its power away, you, you know, and that was a big, big part of me. I was I was giving power to things that I was keeping in the dark. And yeah, I, they, I, they don't have that power. anymore. Yes. And but what if someone, hey, guess what I heard? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> yeah and I survived and look at me look who yeah. I look who I've become because of it my grandma also used to say adversity doesn't uh drown me it it builds me mm. it is that which makes me strong or as Britney Spears would say uh stronger than yesterday or Kelly Clarkson what doesn't kill you make you strong um anyway so good to meet you and you thank you for the time and and really the Congrats to the rabbi that said to you, I think you ought to do this thing. Oh, I can't wait to connect you guys. I'm going to email you right now about him. How courageous and wonderful and humble is Pastor Lane, huh? Okay, so here's some takeaways from this episode. I hope that it brought your heart some peace. Number one, feet of clay. I had never heard that before. It is a biblical phrase used in Christian cultures that means having some sort of character flaw, something that is embarrassing or shameful. Number two, if we're listening and open to growth, we can be there for someone else and share what we've learned from our journey to help lift them up. Three, in order to get over a traumatic experience, we have to grieve what was lost and forgive the person or persons and God for allowing it to happen. You can't rage it out of you. In fact, you can bless it, forgive it, and thank it for making you into who you are today. Number four, forgiveness costs something. We take on the cost of whatever happened before, but there's a benefit. I can't carry this on my books anymore. This is a bad debt. I'm going to pay it. It's worth taking it on and stop waiting around as if I'm going to get repaid by somebody else. I loved that line. It was like my favorite part of the interview. Five, shaming continues the cycle of violence, but at the same time, keep regulations for those who are not mature enough to be in an adult relationship, regardless of age per se. Six, we have to hang out with people we don't agree with. That's the only way to grow and unify as a culture today and not stay decisive. We don't save the world by sharing witty, hurtful memes. <laughs> so remember that the next time you want to leave to quote my grandmother and pastor lane always look for the good it's easy to find the bad you got to look for the good especially in someone who has already declared that they may have different beliefs from you and finally that which you can speak you have taken its power away so stop giving power to the things that you are keeping silent or in the dark and let them out you never know who you could inspire for growth and ultimately to make the entire world a better place and to potentially stop cycles of violence. Thank you so much for joining us. See you next time on See One Beautiful Soul. Now get out there and hang out with somebody who might see things a little differently from you. 
and watch the magic happen. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.